Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. So let's take a look at the rest of the draft class. We'll start with the second and third round picks because I know the Nationals are pretty high on those guys. So Yohandi Morales, the third baseman out of Miami, known for his big-time pop at the plate, hit a couple over the batter's eye while he was at the U. And then the third round pick, Travis Sikora, a right-handed pitcher, six foot six, big kid out of Round Rock High School in Texas. So I think there's a lot to be excited about with both of these guys. You get Yo-Yo Morales, a guy that adds pop to your organization right away. Somewhat, something that's really been lacking this season for the Nationals, something that you can add in there. So now you have him and Brady House over at third base, and you know maybe one of them shifts over to first base in the future. Who knows? But as it stands right now, you have both of those guys at third base hitting for some power. So I think that's going to be good for them. And also, he's got a decent glove over there from what I've read. So if he can stick over at third base, you just have at least a couple of options, depending upon how Brady House continues to develop. And then getting Sakura. This is a guy that was ranked as the number 40 overall prospect, according to MLB Pipeline, and you got him in the third round at pick number 71, a right-handed pitcher coming out of Round Rock High School. I believe from what I saw on Twitter that there's two other Nationals pitchers that are from Round Rock High School. One of those guys is Mason Thompson, so you got a couple guys that are already here that are from that area, but a big, big guy. Six foot six, throws a hundred on the fastball already with a split and a slider. A lot to get excited about with these guys, Grant. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a few things. So we can start with Yoani Morales from Miami. He's huge. Uh, he's six four, two twenty five. Just big league body, giant guy. Frankly, he's to be one of the biggest guys in most big league clubhouses at this point. Um, went fortieth overall, and as you said, it was better than that in terms of all the rankings. He was ranked you know, in the 20 to 25 range, depending on where you looked. I even talked to some people before the draft who thought that was too rich. You know, MLB Pipeline, I think, had him the number 20 player in their class. When we did all of our interviews this year, just to give you an example, um, for MLB Radio, I think our first batch of, of college players we requested interviews with was like seven or eight deep, and he was one of them. Like, we knew this guy was going to be going early enough and had a, a good enough track record that we felt like it was worth it to, to record with him early on. And then lo and behold, he falls out of the, you know, the first round essentially all the way to 40. Uh, but the, the, look, the bloodlines are strong. His dad was a, his name's Andy, uh, played in the Yankees and Red Sox system was on the Cuban national team. Um, if not for the COVID draft, when there was only five rounds in 2020, I think he would have been a much higher regarded player in that draft that the season not shut down and maybe he signs and doesn't go to campus at Miami. Uh, he played a lot as a freshman right away in 2021. He had 11 home runs. Then as his sophomore last year, he broke out hit 18 homers had an OPS over a thousand. Uh, he played for team USA and batted 400 um, in the summer going into this year. And then this year with the Canes at the U 61 games, 240 at-bats, hit about 410, had an 1187 OPS in college with 20 bolts and 70 driven in. Um, there's a lot of strikeouts here, and in this swing, there's going to be a lot of strikeouts. 
And this is the concern. You know, we just talked about Elijah Green. My pre-draft thought on Yoani Morales was, I hope he ends up in an organization that does a good job with kind of swing path and swing adjustments and can get him like his uh, idea at the plate is not very good. Like his plate discipline maybe is a little bit better than his approach as we would call it, but he doesn't walk a lot. Like it was 30 walks in 60 games as a feared slugger. That's too low. And it was 55 strikeouts. I mean, he, he walked 41 fewer times as an example than Dylan Cruz. And he's got, probably more power and it's just a bigger, more intimidating, imposing presence. So that gives you an idea of his approach. I think it needs work, uh, but he slugged over 700. He got on base at a 475 clip. He's sneaky athletic. He was seven for 10 running on the base pads. Um, he's a below average runner. I would say a 45 runner on a 2080 scale or fifties average. Um, but the hit tool might be around 50. His best tool by far is the power, as you said, 60 power. And he is grades out pretty well defensively at third base. Even if he ends up in left field, which is probably more likely just because of how big he is at the big league level, like the power plays. And, and my question is, can you cut down on strikeouts and improve the approach? He's a former shortstop. He's got a really good arm. He could absolutely stay at third if that's what you want. Obviously, the Nationals have Brady House, barring something going wrong, who should be their future third baseman. Uh, you worry about that when he's ready and, and when Morales is already in the big leagues or what have you. But uh, he just – he's got – everything's an A swing with him, I would say, Toby. Like, it's power over hit. He's swinging from his shoes, and he's trying to hit bombs. And I have no problem with that. But the, the theme here is – that the Nats basically got three first-round talents with their first-round picks. And I'm not going to tell you that they, they kicked the rest of the draft to the curb. I don't think that was the case. But the Travis Sikora kid that you were talking about that they drafted with their third pick at number 71, who you mentioned was number 40 on Pipeline, this is kind of a first-round starter kid. It's a, you know, if, if he was 18 years old, he's 19. He's one of the oldest players in the draft out of high school. If he was 18 years old, I bet you this kid goes in the first round. Um, and and in a year where there wasn't much high school pitching, in fact, we only had one first round uh, high school pitcher that went in the top 23, I think it was. And that was Noble Meyer to the Marlins at 10 out of Jesuit high out here in the Pacific Northwest. But this Travis Secor is 6'6", 230. Like he's massive. He's built like a major league starter already. Touches 100 miles an hour. He's got a pretty good slider he can spin. Uh, he throws a splitter that's above average, maybe his second best pitch. It's like when, when you hear throws 100, has a 70 fastball, maybe a 60 split and a 55 slider, and he's 6'6", 230, there's no reason in the world that guy didn't go in the first round except the, the profile of a high school right-hander who touched 101 is petrifying. You almost bank on Tommy John or, or some type of arm issues if you're a team and, you know, just to be frank, high school right-handers, like they pan out what percent of the time, Toby, maybe a third of them become really good major leaguers. A third of yeah. them never get to the big leagues and a third of them just aren't as good as they're supposed to be. So it's a really scary profile. Um, and that's why he fell in the draft. You know, the high school pitchers almost never go as well as they, they are expected to, but I'm telling you the fact that he's 19 was held against him. And I always think that's so dumb. Because if he just goes to Texas 
where he's committed and he comes out as a draft eligible sophomore in two years, no one's holding his age against him. Now he's 21 coming out of college and it's not an issue anymore. But because he's 19 out of high school, everyone's like, oh, we don't like there's less projection there. So um, it's I love the pick. It's a very, very high upside pick. It's obviously risky with, with an, a high school arm and with one that throws that hard. It's funny. It's like, what do you like about him? He throws 101. Why did he go as late as he did in the draft? He throws 101. You know, it's <laughs> like that, that you can answer the question with both of those questions. Yeah. And I think the good part about this, though, is if you can get a guy like this in your system, you can kind of control that. You know, if you let this guy go to Texas and they just want to win national championships and they want to compete in their conference, they're going to throw him a, a bunch. You know, we were talking about this with Paul Skeens at LSU. I mean, this guy was throwing 120, 130 pitches, you know, every fifth day, every sixth day, because that's what they, they, they want to win baseball games. You know, that's their job. They're not, their job's not to prepare you for major league baseball. Their job is to win baseball games at their program. So if he were to go to college, you know, he's going to get used more. Now, if you get a guy like this in your system, you can kind of monitor him, you know, like you can limit the innings. You can work his way up slowly through the system and make sure that you're keeping a close eye on his health and making sure that you can do all that you can to prevent it. Like you said, I mean, when a kid's 19 throwing 101, it, it just screams Tommy John at some point. And so you just want to do as much as you possibly can to prevent that. It, who knows if you can or can't, but we'll see what happens. I'm excited about all these guys. I mean, those top three picks you got to get excited about. Looking at the rest of the draft class, I won't name off all the names for you, but is there anyone that sticks out for you out of the rest of the guys as we record here before they finish day three? So of the day one, day two picks. Yeah, I would say, I mean, they, they drafted another player out of LSU, an infielder a couple rounds down who was on the College World Series team and had some big moments. So I, I just think coming from that winning culture, maybe being with Cruz in the system could be kind of cool and be beneficial. Um, one other guy, though, <coughs> is uh, Andrew Pinckney, who they took in the fourth round, 102 overall at Alabama. Uh, pretty interesting. And in, in texting with a couple of folks with the Nats about him, after they drafted him, I think they like him a lot. Um, and they like adjustments and some of the progress he's made in the last year or so. They think he's really figured some things out. But if you look at his career at Alabama, like every single season he gets a lot better. And I think that they like that too. But what are you looking for? Like when you get outside of the top 100 picks, I think you're looking for athletes or tools or what have you. And I mean, legitimately – like, this is speed and power, man. I mean, he's got 60 speed, maybe 55 power. He had a game against Paul Skeens that put him on the map a little more than he already was, where he went three for three with a home run in April against the best pitcher in the country. Um, I think he has gotten more disciplined, which has helped him. Uh, it's still going to be a question as to whether or not he'll handle uh, off-speed stuff well. Like, he can gear up for fastballs. He's proven that. He struggled with off-speed stuff. But, it like, what are you looking for at that point in the draft? You're looking for a starter kit. And he's 6'3", 215, which is prototypical big league body. He's got a tick above average major league power and above average major league spe speed. Like, you try to figure the rest out. So, we're talking about lottery tickets at that area of the draft. Um you know, you throw them into the system, you know, guys that we talk about all the time in their system, 
as well. We'll see if anything happens, but he had a good week. Like he'll be in that mold probably, but if they could hit a home run on Dylan Cruz, end up with a big leaguer, regular power hitting slugger in Yoandi Morales and get Travis Secor to the show to help them on the pitching staff in any capacity. And then Pinckney becomes just some type of, you know, extra bat at some point, it'll be not only a really good draft, but one of their best drafts that they've had in, in decades. So um, I'm hopeful, you know, we'll see what happens now. They've got their work cut out for them, but I think Nats fans should be very, very happy with what they tried to do. They were really aggressive at the top of the board. And I've told they're very, very confident that they'll get all their guys signed. Yeah. And I think that's what you see a constant theme here. Obviously Dylan Cruz is going to go over slot. Travis Sakura is going to go over slot. So you see after, I mean, basically, aside from Sakura, they've gone all college players. So they're going to try to get these guys signed, and they're going to focus primarily on Cruz and Sakura, I think, are the the two that are going to definitely go over slot. Is Morales probably going to go right around slot, would you think? Uh, yes, I would think so. You might be able to get him slightly under, um, possibly. I mean, he was supposed to have been picked earlier, uh, so he may still want a little more money. That's possible. But, uh, I mean, where is he going? My thought with him is what's his leverage? Where is he going, right? Yeah. He just went through this process after, you know, a pretty solid year, and it's not like teams were overly enamored. So, yeah, I don't think you'll – that was a $2.4 uh, $2. million approximate value on that pick at, at 40. It was, you know, Cruz is going to get around $9 million. Morales is going to get around $2 million. Sakura is going to get a little over one maybe. So that's, you know, over 12 million of their pot and then they'll have to make the rest work. 